Sport has the power to change the world. Welcome to Telling Our Football Stories. My name is Boise Kumalo, and my guest today is Tabani Sutu, who is an academy goalkeeper coach at Lovo City. In today's show, Tabani talks about playing soccer in Egypt and coaching in the MLS. Mr. Tabani, how you doing? I'm doing good. Sorry, how are you? I'm good, thanks. So where are you from in Africa? In Africa, I am from a small country called Lesotho. For those of the listeners who don't know, Lesotho is completely surrounded by the Republic of South Africa. How that happened historically, I'm not really aware. There's too many theories. Okay. But we are an enclave, like we are to completely surrounded by South Africa, but we are in, in Lesotho is an independent country. Um, it's a kingdom. We have a king um, and we have a prime minister, we have a government and everything, but um, we depend on South Africa for basically everything. Um, so that's where I come from. It's just a small, tiny little country, about 2 million people. But we share, um, we share the same culture, we share the same, basically everything with South Africa and language and, you know, so, you, I mean, I know Basudu will get really mad if I say we are part of South Africa, but <laughs> we are not yeah. in terms of the, the geography and everything, but we depend entirely on South Africa for the most part for everything. So Lesotho is a country inside of a country. Mm -hmm. It's an enclave, so it's 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 completely southern. But now historically, Lesotho used to stretch, you know, to Bloemfontein, to Houding. Houding is a Lesotho name. Yeah. But you know, with all the the the, the those old warfares with Shaka and all those kind of stuff, um, I don't really know the, the the correct history, but I know when they started doing the demarcations and everything, um, we end up with uh, the small space basically that we have that's mountains and rivers and everything that we have. Like the Caledon River, you know, Mohokare, I'm not sure if you know about this, is the border, mainly is the border between us and South Africa. Okay. You, you know, every single time you cross into South Africa, you go to the border post by road, the Caledon River, it's, it's the main point of entry or exit. And then maybe the Orange River, you know, in the Southern parts, but really the border between us and South Africa is the river. You go across the just like in Ohio, you cross into Ohio River, yes. go to Indiana. It's the same thing. But in our case, you're going to a different country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So when did you start playing soccer? Oh, as long as I can remember. I mean, um, what age? I don't, I can't really quite tell you, but, you know, we just grew up just like every African kid, you know, we're just playing in the streets. Um, for me, I didn't have like a, say a perfect role model in that I'm the oldest one. I have a brother. Um, and by my dad was never into, into soccer, you know, as far as playing, um, like in, in, I never really had like a reference in my family directly of somebody who played. So, um, I, I had to kind of like, you know, scrape by and play, you know, just on the streets um an organized soccer you know um, just like that maybe i was i'll probably say five or six when i started really taking a little bit more seriously and 
you know, and that was it. I was hooked from there on. Really, I was hooked. That's the only thing that I actually liked that I could actually really pay attention and focus on. But I would say probably six just playing in the streets and stuff. So did you always play goalkeeper or you played different positions going no, on? No, I mean, you know, um, to be honest, I never really played goalkeeper up until I'd probably say 15 or maybe 16 when I started to really take that position seriously. But even then, you know, it just depended on what the team needed. You know, if they need me to play in goal, then I'll play in goal. If they need to play, you know, as a field player, I mean, I wasn't good as a field player. I was all right, you know. <laughs> but with goalkeeping away, I mean, I, I thought, I thought, I thought I was, I was decent. At, you know, but I, I would say probably as I, when I was 15, that's when I really joined like an organized club. You know, up until then, we just used to play like neighborhood, you know, pick up games, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So you said there's a lot of mountains in Lesotho. Yes. What, what are the fields like in Lesotho? Is it grass field? Is it dirt? What, what are the fields like? It's dirt. Yeah. They're, they're really bad. <laughs> the fields are terrible. I mean, it's, you know, it's gotten a little bit better, you know, with South Africa hosting the World Cup in 2010. You know, a lot of the surrounding countries were able to benefit from that. Um, you know, we had the, the national stadium used to be grass, not the best grass either. I mean, I'll, I'll send you some of the videos when I was playing and you get to see. But then, you know, with the FIFA money, they're able to get uh, turf fields yes. um, on the national stadium. And one one of the places, I think it's Mafeteng, it's like in the southern district. Um, they were able to build like a little small stadium there and, and play the turf field. I'll probably say maybe around five or six now to fields, but for the most part, it's just pure dirt. Oh no, that's good. That's just good to see improvement. Now, you know, I'm just thinking about it. There's a goalkeeper diving in the dirt. Did that hurt? <laughs> it hurt big time. It did. You know, yeah. it, you know, we, we we used to back then they used to call it like five bob, and you know, five the fifty cents. You know, so when you cent, dive. Yeah. You go there and scrape your hips. You yeah. know, and and I still have mugs even today. From, <laughs> from 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 all those you know and then you not not just you know i'm not talking about just a game you, you have to train there right you know and um i go back and try to think some of the things that we used to do in training as a goalkeeper some crazy stuff you know just flying around make you dive and do this and do that you know um and with, with drills that do not even translate to what you're going to see in an actual game. They were just like random stuff. They just, I mean, listen, they, it, it, I'm not complaining about that. It toughened me up, right? Yeah. You, know, you can always get the benefit, you know, of, of, of especially with me working with the kids here. And I try to relate to them when they start moaning about, man, it's too hard. And so I'm like, listen, you don't know nothing. I know, I know what the hard ground is like. This thing is covered in grass, maybe a little bit not soft, but it's 10 times better than the, the, you know, the surfaces that I grew up playing in. So um, don't, don't even get me started on that. So that's, those, that's the lessons that I always transmit to some of the younger kids that I work with here. Um, yeah, that, that's good to hear those stories. So how important was school to you when you were growing up? Very, very important. You know, um, my, my parents, especially my mom, you know, was a disciplinarian, you know, you know, you know, you, you tow the line, you know, you go to school, you go to church, you know, all those things were very important, especially on my father. So my dad's side, that's, that's really where they, they, you know, they focused a lot more on his families from the line of academics. My granddad was, you know, was the, was the linguistics um, 
lecturer at the at the National University of Lesotho. It used to be called Pius the College, Pius 11th, Pius the 12th, or something like that. I never got to meet him. He passed away before I was born. But you know, I've I've seen the legacies that he left behind. You know, he wrote the books and all that kind of stuff. So it was it was very important. But I wouldn't quite say it's something that I enjoyed. <laughs> <laughs> If I'm being honest, you know, I, I did enough, you know, to get by, but my love and passion was always in playing football, playing soccer, that's it. Yeah. You know, that's something that, you know, I I can go to a math, math class, mathematics, and I come back out of the class and then I completely lost everything that I learned in there. But I can recount stuff that happened 40 years ago, as far as soccer is concerned. You know, I can, I can code, I can memorize, I don't know how this thing works, but that's just how my mind is, is wired. Mm-hmm. You know, anything that comes that it comes to soccer and stuff like that, I can remember vividly the incidents that happened um, when I was playing, when I was watching, you know, Chiefs and Pirates back then, you know, um, I, can, I can relate, I can still vividly remember the things that happened when I was 10 years old. Um, mm-hmm. But you, you take me to a classroom, you take me, what about to code some of the things, unless it's a subject that I like. Right, you know, I'm the same too. Like I, I used to hate reading, but now I find myself reading all the time. But now I read <laughs> about, you know, other people, you know, sports or yeah. role models. That's what I do. That's, now. That, that's my thing. You know, my daughter, my wife, I kind of, they like to read all this, you know, or watch movies, all this fiction, all this kind of, all this stuff. That doesn't interest me. I can read books about, you know, Pep Guardiola or, or you know, the late President Mandela, all those guys. I can, I can, I can zero in and actually read that and actually, you know, uh, be able to concentrate and retain whatever I read. But if it's like something that is outside of my interest, I'm, I'm not very, very good with that. Yeah. So while you were in Lesotho, you played for Arsenal. Yes. How, how, how did Arsenal find out about you? Because, like you said, you played in the streets, and of course, you played for a yeah, nice team. Exactly. Like we, Arsenal, I was one of the founding members, right? It wasn't a team before. So, oh, wow. the coach, what the national coach is, Styles Pum, I don't know if you know him a little bit. He passed away. You know, he, he's, you know, with the, the my family situation wasn't the best, right? So, Styles was um, the guy who kind of kept me under. I mean, if, if not for him, to be honest, in being part of my life at that time, I'm probably not here talking to you. <laughs> yeah. he, he played a big role in my, my in my development. So he used to have this little school clinics, right, as a national to identify younger talent. So he would go to different schools, like primary schools, and you know do some tryouts and then, you know, pick the best ones and then go and train them at the stadium after school, right? So that, this is how that whole, you know, process started. And, you know, as we grew a little bit older, most of the kids will start going, you know, going to the local, uh, you know, uh, teams, Bafana, go and play for Bafana, you know, Bamatlama or, you know, all these first division teams, they'll start taking the best ones. Right. So for us, you know, for, let me, for me, you know, I grew up, I was born and raised in Maseru until I said, I think I was probably six, maybe, or seven. Then my parents got transferred to Liribe. That's like a district in the northern part, right? And right. when really I began, the, the team at the time was actually very good. You know, they were one of the best teams in the, in the country at the time. 
And so I grew up there and then I came back to Maseru again um, when I was probably 10-ish maybe. And then that's when, that's at the time when all the stuff started with styles. And, but, you know, I didn't want to play for Matlama. I didn't want to play for any other, other teams in Maseru because I was, I was a Dinari fan, right? That's team in the river, but I couldn't play there because I was, I was living in Maseru. So a, a few of us were staying behind, you know, um, you know, play for high schools and we didn't, we didn't really play club. And so uh, in Maseru at the time, they used to, the Matlama football club, they used to organize this youth tournament, right? Um, so we went and played in that tournament. It was Matlama. It was us. Uh, we didn't even have a name. I cannot even. We played with t-shirts and stuff. Um, <laughs> at the time, it was just a collection. Like we didn't have a name literally. And Matlama had that schoolboys was one. I can't remember which the fourth team was. So we played round robin during Christmas period, and we came in. At the time, the coach was not the coach. Coach Styles was used to work with us. You know. Partially, he was the national team coach, so there was a conflict of interest. So he was in Liribe vacationing for Christmas, right? So we won, we, we came in second, I think, in that tournament. I think we won like 50 rents. That's it. <laughs> so with that, we decided to listen. With, I think this was in like in 19, maybe 83. And we said, we're going we're gonna to keep this money. We're going to go and buy a kid. We kept the money, we came back, and then, you know, say, hey, we want to form a team, you know, um, we tired of just, you know, and this time we're still in high school. I think I was in form B at this time, you know? And so, um, so we met, he could say, okay, I understand what you guys are saying. You know, I remember it was like maybe the 29th, 30th December, 83. So we went and decided like, you know what, what name, you know, you know we want to be called then. There's so many different names came up and he's the one who came up with Arsenal and the, 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 the whole meaning behind that was like, you know, you guys, I'm going to use, because he was somebody that was so far ahead. You know, he, he is a South African, you know, he was born in South Africa. He came to Lesotho during apartheid, that kind of stuff, but he was born and raised in, in South Africa. So he said, you know, he was having so many obstacles, you know, with the association, you know, trying to implement his ideas and he was getting all this, you know, you know, resistance from, from the power. So he was like, I'm going to name you guys Arsenal because I'm going to, use you guys as a weapon to show these guys what my ideas about football was, right? So we registered the team as Arsenal, 84, in the lowest division. We were still, all of us were still in high school, we were young kids, playing against grown men, literally in the, like in the, in the C division, you know? Um, and we won, like we, we, we I think that, that year we only lost one game. And like I said, we we're just kids. All of us would go to high school and then come back to training and then go and play in the weekend. And we were able to advance um, that year from the, B, from the C division, 84, and then we went to this B division, which is like second division in the, in the pyramid. And I think in that C division, it was not C. B division, it was difficult for us. You know, it took us like three attempts to, to finally gain, you know, promoted to the first division. Um, in 88, I think that's when that happened. So, yes, Arsenal didn't find about me. We, we found Arsenal, me and a group of, obviously, 10, 8, 9, 10 guys at the time, you know, were the founding members of Arsenal. Oh, that's good so, to know. So we, we, formed, we formed the team, and then from there on, it just started growing, to be honest, you know. Um, 
we, we dominated, you know, I'll say from 88 to 98, that's when I moved here. Um, Arsenal was one of the top teams, not just in Lesotho, but in Southern Africa. We were actually very good. You know, um, I remember when South Africa got admitted back into FIFA, you know, we, we played a lot of games against South African teams. You know, you know we played against um, Jomo Cosmos. Was the, Jomo was the first guy to come in. And, you know, we played against Jomo Cosmos. We played against, you know, uh, Free State Stars, you know, Celtics, Blue Fortin Celtics, you know, Tata Bucks. I mean, we played a lot of Chiefs, you know, yeah. Swallows. They used to come to Masero all the time, you know, um, and, and, and play friendly games against us. Oh, that's good to hear, man. So how was the professional uh, uh, league in Lesotho? Was it a good league? Like you said, you were a kid. Did you guys get paid, make money or no? No, 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 no. no. It's semi-professional. I mean, even now, I mean, there's some teams now that are, that are you know, paying. I think now it's, there's, there's a move towards professionalizing the game where players are actually getting paid. And some teams are actually doing pretty good at that. But when I was playing, no. No, no. So you just played for free. We played for free and then, you know, um, you know, they'll give you something if you win the tournament, do this and that. But most of us, you know, we used to go to work and then go to practice and stuff like that. But it wasn't professional. No. Oh, interesting. Even though, I mean, we, we, like I was saying, Lesotho has always had like a relationship with South Africa in so many things and sports is one of them. I don't know if you never heard about a guy called Ronnie Malefete. No, I never heard of him. He played for Chiefs, you know. He, he listen, um, I don't, I don't think Lesotho has ever had a goalkeeper like him. You know, he's the guy that I grew up idolizing. I'll never miss a game. He played for Chiefs and then he went, he, he, and they came back home, played for Marseille United and some of them, but he played for Celtics again. And I remember they won the main state cup back then. I can't remember who they beat. So we had a lot of guys, Ronnie Malefese, you know, Mosala. Um, uh, there's a lot of Basuto guys that used to go and play for Ntatemulemela in, in Bloemfontein. Um, and some of them, you know, Lekwani, Lekwani, have you ever heard Lekwani, Lekitu, call Lekwani? I've heard some of the names, yeah. Yeah, Lekwani played for Chiefs, you know. Um, and then Siema, you know him. Um, he went to Celtic right. and he played for Paris, that kind of stuff. So there's always been that. And then there were some South African guys that used to come. You know, I got to remember back then the mine, the, so the, the soccer in the mines was big. You know, when the mining industry in South Africa was at its peak, you know, the gold mines, all that kind of stuff. They used to recruit players from Lesotho to go and blind the mine. The Val Reef Stars, when Sheikh Mashaba was there, you know, I had a lot of Basotho guys playing there. So the mining, you know, industry, when it was at its highest, they were getting some of this players from Swaziland and stuff like that. So um, there's always been that 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 kind of, of relation. Dikwebe, you know, Waga Waga Dikwebe had the name. No, never heard of that name. You go, you go old school on me. Somebody, I'm still a young man. Yay. That, <laughs> oh, this guy was one of the best forwards. He played for Chiefs, but he was born in Ladybrand. Ladybrand is 20 minutes from Maseru. You know, you have to go across the bridge, but it's, it's, it's in South Africa. He was born there. And yeah. he played, he played, he played for Chiefs, but he played mostly. He played in in Lesotho too. One of the best forwards, you know, that South Africa has ever had. Speed that he had, you know, the finishing. Oh my God, you know, don't get me. Don't, don't, I want to <laughs> back there because yeah. I always tell the people that I I witnessed South African soccer at its absolute best, but because of the apartheid, they went. These guys were never known. I mean, I grew up. Listen, they used to organize these games where Chiefs would play Pirates, right? And I got, literally, I, we used to, I used to sleep at the stadium because you, you know it's going to get full. 
And, you know, talk about Ace and Suling, you know, teenage lad, like, you know, banks through it. I mean, you know, yeah. and Dome on that side, you know, they had Webster Di Chaba, they had Big Boy Holland. I mean, I'm telling you, man, listen, I, 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 I witnessed South African soccer at its upper, and I'm not trying to downplay the players and the achievements now, but, you know, it's always about errors. You know, you, you, you talk about, you know, Skaran Goben, you know, those are the guys that you, you, you watched and, you know, you probably idolize those, but I, I'm, I'm a little bit more biased in the, in the guys that I saw growing up, um, man, <laughs> no TV at this time, right? You know, listen to the radio, you know, right. <laughs> get a PM10 battery, plug it in and then go and listen to this thing. And the commentators at that time were so good in painting the picture. You can actually see it, you know, but I don't, I mean, I you just get too nostalgic when I think about those guys and, and the types of soccer, you know, it was more, I mean, you know, I watch South African soccer now, you know, it's, 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 it's not, there's not, there's no flair anymore, right? You know, the kids are playing in Europe. It's, you know, they're just passing the ball, they're doing this, which is fine. But this is not the soccer that I grew up watching, you know, mm -hmm. there's so much entertainment value, you know, and you know, their nicknames too, they, they, they kind of, kind of tell you that, like, you know, Pirates had this guy called uh, uh, Heel Extension Curry, right? So he's right. a guy who's just uh, passing the ball with his heel all the time, you know? <laughs> Man, I don't want to go back there. Yeah, let's, let's not go back there. Let's move on forward here. Uh, in 1993, you left uh, Lesotho, you went to Egypt, yes, and sir. I'm not sure about the pronunciation. Is it Al-Ali or Al-Ali? Yes, Al-Ali. Yes, I mean, it's, listen, it's, it's, the, the H is... Okay. Yeah. So this is what happened. Um, we played, I went there in June 1993, but you know, it took us several games to get to that point, right? We played against um, Silver Strikers from Malawi. That's the first game that we played. Um, and we went to a place, we beat them 2-0. And then they came to Maseru. I actually played that game. I broke my thumb in training. Yeah. Um, but I played regardless, and we won the game 2-1. They have a kid called John Maduga now. I think he's the head coach at um, Celtics. He was part of that Silver Strikers team. And then we went and advanced and played against the team from Mozambique, uh, Club de Gaza. We, that was probably the most difficult game because we, we advanced on away goals. We tied 2-2 in Mozambique, and then we came back home and tied 1-1. So we advanced on away goals, and that's when we played the Egyptian team. Um, you know what, in my mind, and, and this, I've, I've always had this, you know, thoughts about, you know, wanting to play professionally, but, you know, how do I go about it? You know, Lesotho doesn't get as much exposure, right? Um, but I, I, growing up, preparing, I always had this, you know, these dreams about playing, um, you know, overseas or whatever that is. And for that, for that game, I remember taking off completely from work because I was thinking, you know what, Egypt is close to Europe, you know, who knows what's going to happen, you know, I may have a good game, I may, but somebody may see me. So I prepared for this game, and I th I th to date, that's probably the best team that I had played against, you know, at club level. They were so good, you know, um, they were advanced in their tactics, and they were, they are not like the most athletic guys, but they're so technical, you know, and, and, and they understand the game, and they just ran rings around us. And they beat us 1-0 at home. And, you know, I kept my team and I had decent, decent showing. Um, and then we went back to Egypt. We flew, actually, we, us and Chiefs were on the same flight. Chiefs was going to play against Zamalek. 
Oh, wow. So we went and played against uh, uh, in Alexandria. Again, they just, like, we just completely dominated. Um, and it, we lost 1-0. And back then, there was only one flight on Thursday, right, from Cairo to Egypt. We didn't have anything. So we played on Friday, and then we're done. We had to wait. You know, we went and watched shifts the following day. But we had to wait until we flew back home. And then the deal was done then, you know, during that little break. But they were looking for a goalkeeper at the time. You know, and then um, the, we finalized everything during the week. All I did was just to fly back home, pack up my stuff, say my goodbyes, and went back to Cairo again. But here's what happened, though. Um, I get there on a Saturday or Sunday, and I stayed in the hotel while the team was having elections. Like, they have all these big old presidential elections and stuff. So the board, like the people that brought me in, they, they lost the job. Right. Oh, the coach, yeah. The coach was sacked. So, um, so the <laughs> so the dynamic changed right away. But I'm already there. I already signed a contract, you know. And they brought in uh, a guy called Alan Harris. You know, he used to play for Chelsea back in the day, and he was the assistant to Terry Venables, you know, for Spurs and stuff like that. And Barcelona, he was the assistant of Barcelona. So he comes in and takes over. Um, and you know, so dynamic change. I was the most of the backup there for, from my day. The goalkeeper was good. The Schubert was a great goalkeeper, you know, World Cup, you know, played for Everton, that kind of stuff. So I learned a lot from him, but I didn't get to play as much as I would have liked to be, if I'm being honest. You know, I was I played a you know, few games here, there, mostly playing, you know, the, the, I was always on the bench. And then on Monday, they organized a league for the reserve, the guys who didn't play. And then they always play. I played a lot of those games just to stay sharp. Um, but as far as like playing a lot of minutes, that wasn't the case. Schubert wasn't going to be even part of that group. But then when they won the elections, they brought him back, you know. Yes, and I'm yes. not complaining. He was, he was, he was. Listen, he was a great goalkeeper. I learned a lot from him. Um, and and then my experience there, you know, um, yeah, courage, courage, something else, man. Yeah. So, so how was the transition from Lesotho to Egypt? Of course, the language is different, the culture, everything. The language, the culture, the weather. You know, Lesotho gets cold. You know, Lesotho gets it snows down there, right? yeah. the mountains. So I left in June. This is at the peak of winter season, and I went to Egypt in June. That's in the height of summer, and Cairo is on the Nile Delta. It's humid. It's I mean, I don't know. I mean, you need to be there um, to experience the heat. Um, so the transition from training in cold weather to suddenly being exposed to that kind of heat and the language, you know, the culture, uh, the religion, it's purely Muslims. Mm -hmm. um, they don't speak English that much at this time. Most of the players there. Uh, the TV sucks. You know, the, <laughs> every, everything is censored. Right, there was only one slot of English on TV from seven to eight, and that's just the news, like be like BBC or something. That's it, you know. Everything changed, you know, towards the end. I think of my time, maybe '94, and they began to have cable and stuff like that. Then, you know, it, it made life a lot more easier. But you know, the first six months was a struggle. Um, you know, you don't understand what people are saying, you know, everything is written in Arabic, you know, um, so you had to rely totally on, on, you know, one or two guys who understand the, you know, because when I got there, there was a kid that was very fluent in English and French, 
you know, so he used to translate and helping with everything, but then he got cut, right? So, so um, next day, I mean, it, it was, it was, transition was difficult. It was very, very hard. I had to learn the language just on a conversational level, not really anything detailed, just to get by, go and get a cab, you know, most of the cab drivers, they know English, they should, but then they'll act as if they don't, <laughs> you know, and then they'll take you around Cairo, Cairo is a big city, you know, so, I had to be at least on a conversational level, be good at, you know, being able to communicate, you know, your ways around all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. It wasn't easy. Yeah. So one of the top South African coaches just moved to Egypt, Al-Ahli, Pizzo Musimani. Yes. How, how do you think he's going to do, just talking about all these transitions that you're talking about? Yes. He, um, you know, I was able to actually get in touch with this, with this, um, with this uh, translator. I, I still have contacts over there. So I got in touch with the translator, you know, so listen, Peter is a confident guy, right? He's, he's, he's extremely confident, you know, borderline cocky, call it whatever you want, but he, he trusts himself and his abilities. And that, that's, listen, that, that's, a, that's a monumental shift right in and all his hiring practices this has never happened before ever they've always gone for european coaches and i'm talking about big names you know big big names in europe uh jose manuel is a guy who used to call the portuguese national team and all that kind of stuff you know i had alan harris the guy was the last job before he came there was barcelona right mm -hmm. and and then after he left, uh, Holman, the guy who came in, was used to coach for Galatasaray. So they've always gone for Europeans or big Egyptian names, right? Because, like I say, the Egyptians, you know, not just them, but even the, the, that North African you know, territory, they're Arabs and they consider themselves as such. So they will call me and you Africans as, as if they are not. Right. Right, the Africans when they go for nations cup, but they consider themselves Arabs. So please, what they'll you know, if you look, they'll always say he's the first African coach to coach there. That's what I'm saying. It's a big shift, and it, you know, it, it it shows how well he's done for for that food for that club um to have that full faith and trust in him because all they want him to do, he's hired there to go and win the African Championship. That's it, and he's done that with Sundowns. So he's hugely respected in Africa because of the work he's done and but you know i was telling like you know you got to win against zamalek when you coach elali and you got to win the african titles that that's 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 the only thing that you know of course the league it's for like even when you look at that they tied zero zero yesterday against pyramids they're playing down a man uh, for long periods um so he's done well you know he's got seven points he hasn't given up any goal but then the real test comes sometimes this week when they play uh, against this Casablanca team from Morocco in the in the African uh, Champions Champions League version in Africa, yeah. and El Ali, their success is measured on winning that trophy. That's it. You know, sounds like the pressure is too high. It is. It's insanely high. You know, that's one thing. You know, that when I went there, I wasn't. You know, we used to have people come and watch us train. You know. 10 people, five, seven, whatever that is, you know, we, I went there and we played the first scrimmage, you know, and I went out there and the whole thing is packed, you know, um, the whole training ground is packed. So you're talking about, I think I sent you a video, you're talking about thousands of people that come to watch training every day. That's another thing. It's open practice, you know, you, you, you don't close 
practice to the fan. It's always been done, you know. So if you're working on tactics, you better work on tactics, they'll be there, you know. I mean, you're not going to close them out. So that's another thing that you cannot hide. You, you know, it's pressure every single day. It's people who are very educated about the game. They understand. So the, the pressure, it, it, it's, it's insanely high, you know. You know, I don't know what people, I mean, you don't have no life, right? You know, I started wearing these things when I was in there. I never used to wear hats before, you know, before I went to Egypt. I went there because you always want to disguise yourself a little bit, but it takes one or two guys identifying you. And then next thing you're just mocked. It's something that they always would tell you about when you get there, like, listen, watch where you go. Um, you may get hurt. And it's not because people actually try to intentionally hurt you. They are just excited. They get mocked. It's hard. I mean, you get suffocated very, very quickly. You know, so that, like I said, there's a lot of pressure on him. But Pizzo, it's, you know, he, he Pizzo is it's, it's a confident dude. He wouldn't take this if he didn't trust himself and his abilities. And like I said, so far, so good. You know, he's, he's got seven, but they already won the league. Listen, it's, it's done. Um, the league right now for them is just to make sure they get practice and get themselves ready for for the main one. And that's winning the African Championship. That's the only reason why they brought him in. Yeah. And if well, he does, that is going to be in good shape. Yeah, I hope he does win it. Now, w- when you were playing, you also got a... You were the captain of the national team. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how, you know, it happened. I wasn't the, I wasn't the captain before. And the sort of other time, you know, I probably would have had... I don't even know how many caps I have, maybe 50, 20. But because we never really used to play games, you know, next thing, the association, you no, know, you know, we'll be in camp, like we cannot make the game because he ain't got no money, all that kind of stuff. Yes. Me being captain, so I went to Cairo in 93, right? That was June. And then I came back home the following June, um, fourth season, right? Um, because up until then, I never played for the national team, you know, um, they, 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 because they didn't have any games. So the first game, it was against Zimbabwe. Um, and I remember, you know, we were in preseason camp in Alexandria. And I remember being told like, hey, um, your national team just call you. Um, you know, this is the area, the office that you need to go and contact the ticket office, go and find your ticket there. And then you're free to leave you know, and represent your country. So I go there, I go to the ticket office. Um, no, we ain't got nothing here. People start looking, what's your name? No, nothing, nothing came in, you know. So yeah. I called them back, back home, like, hey, I'm at the ticket office right now. Um, you know, I need to go and pick it up because, you know, you guys called me to come. No, we're going to, so eventually the ticket doesn't come. You know, the next day I'm like, okay, you know what, listen, I'm going to go back to camp. So I got on the bus, go back to Alexandria again. I went to Zimbabwe and lost 5-0. Mm. That's what Zimbabwe had, you know, the Love Brothers, you know, all those guys that were actually very good. So I went back to camp and then we blah against Cameroon. This is like in November 94. And I went back home when I got back to when I got, so I got there on a Sunday and the coach said, listen, go and see your family and then come and join us to camp on Monday and start preparing. And I got back to camp and the guys on strike, right? The players on strike over their bonuses. <laughs> they said, we're not playing. Crazy. So yeah, so I'm thinking, I'm not gonna fly all over here and not get to get to play. So, I, you know, I became captain because really I started to organize, you know, between the players and the association. I've never been captain before, you know, even my club, you know, I, I, it's a role that I never really quite liked. I just enjoy playing. 
But, you know, so I started, you know, organizing between the players, you know, hey, this is what they're saying, you know, no, we're not going to plan unless this is mad and all that kind of stuff. So eventually on a Wednesday, um, they gave us a deal that, listen, if you guys win this game, um, you're going to take all the money from the gates, right? So the players, okay, cool. And so we started training. And I think they made that deal thinking Cameroon is going to beat us, right? And, and, and we shot them. <laughs> we beat Cameroon, we beat Cameroon to zero. You know, and um, and 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 that's how I was a captain for the national team. It, it, it was really because of the role that I I played in negotiating a settlement. You know, a, a deal between the players and and, and the association. Um, by more by default, is a role that I never really quite liked. I just enjoyed playing, and I could affect players differently without actually being a captain. Um, but it happened that way. Yeah. So. When did you move to the U.S. and why did you move to the U.S.? <laughs> Long story. Okay. Yeah, so in 96, 96, I think, one of my best friends, you know, he just recently passed away last year. You know, we, we, the guy that we grew up together, you know, since I was probably five, six, you know, very close friend. I was his best man when he got married. So he used to work with my wife. Like, he's my wife now, right? So, you know, um. I was at home in the off season. No, it was actually in January 96. I remember this because um, the Egyptian league was closed because they were playing. South Africa was hosting AFCON, right? They were hosting Africa, a couple of nations. The, the one that South Africa won at home. So El Ali used to supply 14, 15, like a, a bunch of players for the national team. So we couldn't play. So the Egyptian league basically was shut during the during them, you know, this, this tournament. So I, I flew back home. Um, so my, my, that's when my, my, um, my friend was like, hey man, you know, you may want to come and meet this chick. So um, <laughs> we, we, we met, so he, you know, we met and then things kind of took off quickly. And then she, we dated um, on and off when I was, you know, playing that kind of stuff. And eventually when my contact ended, I flew back home. And then um, she came to the US and my wife, because she grew up here. She grew up in Louisville, right? Because my, my father-in-law studied um, at the seminary. My dad was a pastor. So during that time, when my father-in-law was studying here, um, they, they grew up a little bit here. So she knew the place. So she went back home, got her college. And then when she was ready to come and do her master's, she came back here again. And she kind of talked me into it, you know? Um, so I remember coming here um, in June 98, uh, or July, right after the World Cup, um, I didn't quite like it, if I'm being honest, you know, um, it was different, you know, um, and at the time, back home, you know, things were, were, were going well, you know, I was part of the national teams now on the, on the because I was kind of like, I was always, I was, I'm not always, I was phasing out now, I was getting ready to stop playing. You know, national team already retired from it. I was just playing club a little bit, but at the time, the motivation really wasn't there. I was more into coaching. I was already getting my badges and license and stuff. So, you know, things were going well back home as far as I could see myself, you know, being, you know, under 20 national, that kind of stuff. You know, that's where the trend was going. But I came here and, and, and I, like I said, I didn't like it. You know, first I thought I could play in college, right? And I came over like, no, man, you cannot play in college. You've already been paid. You're too old for college. How and old were you? I was 28. 
<laughs> and I'm like, you know, so I remember one time, so I, during my time here, I played, you know, I saw some dudes, they were playing with players, Seneca Park, and one of them got like, hey, man, hey, can you play with us? We need a goalie, this and this. So I went, and it was the guys at UofL at the time, they were playing in their summer league. So I went and played goalie for them. And I, at this time, you know, I'm, I'm in pretty good shape. You know, I does well. And the coach comes in, Tony Kovaki at the time, like, hey, man, you know, we, we, we want to, you, you, you think about playing for us? You call him like, yeah, why not? You know, so when the Uvella met him at his office and you know, started talking about the history where I played, and I could just sing like that. And, and why? It was like, hey, man, we cannot take you because you've already been you're a full time professional, you've already been paid, and plus you're too old, you know. So, so everything kind of closed up like that, and I got frustrated. And I went back home again. I'm like, you know, I may want to go and start because. And then my wife, you know, again, you know, she 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 pays with me. She talked me into it. Then I came back again, I think in 99. Um, then, you know, I had to start my everything basically from scratch and build my way back up again. Um, you know, so that's basically I came here because of because of my wife. Oh, OK. That, that's interesting. So yeah. how did you get in, into coaching then? Like you said, you get your badges, coaching licenses. Yeah, in I, I got I got some of those back home, but. They, 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 they were FIFA used to go and send instructions and stuff like that. And but they, I don't think they were they recognize them that much here, you know. So I had to start. I mean, I didn't start from the very beginning because of my, you know, my little background as a professional. I went to the B's and A's right away. Um, and the methodology and everything is just completely different to how, how the courses are done at home. Um, Back then here, they were a little bit too short, you know, all cramped up, you know, you go for a week and get all this done. Whereas um, the ones that we did back home, it was like a process of like six months where, you know, you go and meet, you know, the instructors come and watch you in your club, how you work, you know, you go back and meet and present all that kind of stuff, which is what they're doing here now. But um, back then when I did these things, there was very stressful, you know, you get down Saturday and you, you, you try to complete all these things like that, you know, just crammed up, um, you test out and you, it, it, I mean, I don't want to criticize it, but I just think it's the way it was presented. It was just too jammed up and too quick, you know, um, and, and it's not too many good coaches actually. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Guys have yeah, no, I know what you mean. But they're not very good. You know, I've seen that before. Yes. So yeah. so you did well at the at the youth level because you're coaching youth in Kentucky. Then you got coach of the year and also got inducted in uh Kentucky Soccer Hall of Fame. Yes. What does these uh, accomplishments mean to you? Ah, uh, you know, I mean they're they're good, you know. I mean it, it, it shows that, you know, we can come from the very humblest of beginnings where me and you come from. And you have to come to a different country where nobody knows you and they don't care about your history. Like, you know, I, you know, kept the national team play for Elali, you know, those are big things back home. But here they don't know. Like you go and meet like a regular kid, you know, that you go tell and play for Elali, which me, we talk about that and kids have been there, how big that is back home, but they don't care here, they don't know. So you really have to work and prove yourself all over again. So I think um, in that respect, I would say, well, it's a big thing because it shows like with hard work and where we come from and all that kind of stuff, you know, coming here, we, we, we you know, 
we can mix it up with the best year and we've made it. You know what I'm saying? You know, it's not really made it, but we, we, we've proven that we can, you know, we can hold our own. Because I understand I was, I was, I was 20 years, 28 years behind when I came here. Right, you know, somebody 28 who grew up here, they're married, you know, they're making money, you know, they are all, you know, doing well. So if you come from Africa like we do, you're playing catch up. You're playing catch up for that, like, so for me, I always say I started 28 years behind everybody else here. So, you know, you have to make things work and make them work quickly. And, you know, it's, it's you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of work, you know, a lot of hard work that you've got to put hours in. And you know, get the buy-in from the from the players, get the buy-in from the parents. You know, those are the those are not easy things to do because people don't know you. You know, um, so it's a lot of work. But like I say, um, I'm not complaining that I got those awards. I think I I worked hard enough to get to that point. Sure. Yeah, and you were dedicated to do it. So yes, now sir. you also helped kids from Lesotho come to to the U.S. Yes, sir. Yep, yep. Why do you think that it is important for those guys to come to the U.S. and get education? Very, very important. Very, very, very important because um, like I said, Lesotho. You know, when I grew up, I grew up in Lesotho. When Lesotho was actually, you know, pretty decent, right? You know, like I said, we used to have South African guys, you know, big guys, come and play. You know, for teams back home. I mean, Brains Mutunu. You know, is one guy who played for Pirates. You know, he went to the university back home. He studied at the University of Lesotho. I don't know what Brains does now, whether he's still alive or not, but he's a great player, player for Pirates. And he, he, he went to the university back home and studied for four years there. So I grew up at a good time and I, I know the value of education um, and the impact that he can have. So um, those guys, the process started off when, um, you know, United was looking um, to strengthen one team. And at the time, there were some parents who were willing to, you know, to host and stuff like that. And it's something that I'd never done before. So, you know, we I had to talk to one of my buddies back home about, you know, we need these kids, you know, probably they can speak distant enough English, smart kids, good kids. And we did some research on them. Um, so, Lepegola and Sunny Johnny were the first ones to come. And, you know, they, they, they did really well um, as far as, you know, they went to Trinity High School and Lepi went to Northwestern High, uh, University, did well, graduated, and then he got his master's at Bellarmine and he went back home. He's the director of football now for Kick for Life, so he's doing really well. And Sonny went to Maryland, um, played there for three years, I think, then he turned professional and, you know, he, it went well, but not very stable. Some bad decisions, some of them, you know, on his part, that kind of stuff. But he's still back home now. Um, and then, like three, four years later, I, I brought Napo Matsuso and then Sitomo Um Napo did really well. Um, you know, he went to UK, graduated, and then he's playing for Louisville City now. You know, he's one of the, you know, better players. Sito was probably the best of the four in terms of talent. Very, 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 very good player. But he, he, you know, he got VV'd off, you know, he took the wrong route and, and, and he's, he's back home now, you know, so it's, it, it, it's a wasted talent, if I'm being honest, because, um, you know, he, he was a better player than all these four kids in terms of his understanding of the game, his technique, you know, so I mean, he's, he was, he was unbelievable, but, you know, I always used to bring these kids to my house, you know, and talk to them like, hey, listen, you know, th th there's a lot of choices here. It just depends on which ones you make. 
You know, you make good choices, you're going to be fine. You're going to make bad choices, they are there for you. But yeah, it's not going to end well for you. And so Todd took the wrong route. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, he, he had to be sent back home, that kind of stuff. I don't even know what he's doing. I think he's playing, playing back home, you know, but, you know, discipline-wise was probably not his best, um, best attribute, but he's a very, very good player. Yeah. So speaking about Napo, he's currently doing well, like you said, for Lovo City. Do you think he should get a call-up for the national team? Back home? Yes, yes so too. He, he should. Um, yeah, especially now that you know, recently South Africa opened. I mean, no, 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 no. I think he, he listen. He he can play for the national team today, for sure. Now, can he travel from the U.S. and get into South Africa? Probably not because of the COVID. But one hundred percent, he can play for the national team. No doubt in my mind. Um, you know, and, and incidentally, I play with his father. Right, I play with Napa's dad for five years back home, you know, for Arsenal, from 88 to 1993, you know, he was a very, very good player, his dad too, fantastic player. So um, Napo, Napo was born in a family where his dad was really good, his uncle was one of the best players too, um, so he, he grew up in it. Um, but for sure, he should, he, he, should, he should make the national team and he can start for the national team, he's a, he's a good player. Yeah, no, he's a good player. I've watched him play a couple of times. Speaking yeah. about Lovo City, yeah, you also coach the USL team. And mm -hmm. uh, the question for me is from youth soccer to, to, to professional uh, Lovo City at the time, the USL team. How did that move happen? Um, you know, it's funny because I knew about that, you know, because, you know, you know it was, was, was being hyped up here. So I knew that thing was coming. And, but I wasn't really looking. If I'm being honest, you know, I wasn't looking because um, we knew about the head coach, James, was coming from Orlando. Um, but, you know, in my mind, I was thinking, um, probably James is coming here with his own stuff, whatever that is. So I, I wasn't really coaching. So I was a collegiate, right? It was, it was the first day of the season, a collegiate high school. That's where my daughter goes. We're having preseason. So as, you know, the kids are working, that kind of stuff, uh, Ken Lola, who was the head coach at UFL at the time, he came and said, hey, um, I, got a, I got a phone call from James O'Connor, and um, they want to talk to you about um, you know, being the, 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 the goalkeeper coach, that kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. So James calls me, um, and I did not hear a word what he was saying. I don't know if you, I don't know if you talked to him. <laughs> he left a message, and I had no idea what he said. And um, so I called him back. And so he said, yeah, well, you know, we, we're still looking for, for other, so we have some other names to consider, but, you know, we'd love to come and talk to you. So I went and have a meeting with him, you know, just my general thoughts about the game. You know, it wasn't really an interview, just an informal meeting, just kind of filling me in, like, you know, what's your thoughts about the game, you know, about goalkeeping and all that kind of stuff. So I presented, you know, what I thought, you know, um, an ideal modern goalkeeper should be like based on how he wants to play. You know, that's, that's another thing that I think people always make a disconnection that the goalkeeper is it's somebody there's diving and, you know, doing saves, but he's, he's not connected to the group. You know, for me, he needs to be connected. He needs to fit in with how the team wants to play. If, 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 there, if there's a misconnect, if there's a, like, if they don't connect properly, you're going to be in trouble, you know, either your team or him, you know, there has to be, I'll make an example. So if you want to play with a high line, right. And you, know, you want the goalkeeper who's going to be quick. That's the first thing. 
He needs to be yes. quick. The ball plays behind me. He needs to be, he needs to defend bigger space. He's gonna touch the ball most of the time, probably with his feet. So he needs to be good with his feet. He needs to be good in one-on-ones. You know, he, he, he needs to fit exactly how you want him to play. Um, and if he doesn't have those attributes, even if he's a really good goalie, he, he, he can have a problem. So my thing with James was, it was just an understanding how, how do you want to play and then what type of goalkeepers, you know, should we, should we bring in? So we went again, uh, probably two months later or month, whatever, and they interviewed different guys. Um, you know, I think it was three of us. And so, you know, again, this time it was James and, you know, some of the board members and you know, some other guys. So again, you know, they, they were asking me some you know, hypothetical questions, you know, how do you deal with the second, you know, goalkeeper? How do you deal with the third one to make sure they are body and all that kind of stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So eventually they, I got the job and then, you know, and then the, the rest is history you know, that we had. That's good to hear. And also in 2017, uh, Lovo City won the championship. Uh, yeah. What made that team so special? Ah, man, it, it's, you know, we, the, the, the previous years, you know, and that's one thing that's, that's pretty good about this group that, you know, we went and played against uh, Rochester Rhinos, you know, they had Bob Lilly at the time and it was very difficult, man. They actually won the championship that year. We played them in the Eastern Conference final. They beat us 1-0 and we came back and regrouped, you know, and there was a huge rust overhaul i think that year when we went to 2016 um 2016 um season and we lost a goal starting goalkeeper i went to do med school at harvard just 2016 so we had to we had to bring in yeah i think squad he actually just got done he's, i think he's doing his internship in austin so he went to harvard so we knew about in february that he was going to go there and so we I started to prepare craig and then look for another you know look for another um Backup goalkeeper, something that James hardly ever does. You know, he doesn't want he doesn't sign players mid-season unless it's absolutely necessary. You know, he's somebody who wants to get players go to camp. And so um, we played against uh, New York Red Bulls in the Eastern Conference final. We so we, we were winning one zero and missed like a couple of big chances. And then the starting goalkeeper pulled his groin, he gets injured. So the backup goalkeeper comes in, Tim Dovorsky, really good goalie. You know, we tie the game one-one. We go to overtime. We go to penalties, and they beat us on penalties. Hmm. And so we came back again, and 2017. This time, not too much. No, what was good about that 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 um that class, the guys that we brought in that year, was Spiel Williams. He came in. He already won the championship. In Red Bulls, Sean Tosh came in as a center back. He played for Rochester. He's already won the championship with Rochester. So the guys that we brought in that year, it wasn't like a big. Carl Smith was one of them. You know, Carl Smith was like relatively unknown. You know, he went through the combines. You know, the open tryout. You know, he was played at Transylvania University, like a small Division three school in Lexington. Open tryouts makes 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 the cut. We had like our own combine here. Makes the cut. We took into preseason and eventually he was picked and he's playing in the MLS now. So, um, and then we had Oscar Jimenez, he came to, so we, we picked some really, really good players, but the biggest thing was the guys that came in was the guys who came in and, and were able to start and they already had the championship mentality with them. I think that was probably the biggest thing with that team that's here that year that 
we didn't have too many players, new players come in, but the ones who came in, they already won stuff from where they came from and they improved us. Plus Oscar and Noah Carl, humble, very humble, hardworking, good, really good players. And, and they, they helped us. So we, we met Red Bulls again this time. So I cannot remember the team that was ahead of us in the West in terms of points. I think it was Real Monarchs. And they lost the very first game, the playoffs. So suddenly it was us who had the home field advantage. It's just a matter of protecting it. So we played every single game at Slugger. And, and we end up we end up winning. That's, you know, listen, that, that's one of the biggest, biggest, proudest moments um, in, in my in my sporting career. And I've won, you know, when I was with the Alal, we won the African Cup Winners Cup, like the Continental Cup, you know, in the Arab League. Those are like big, uh, prestigious, you know, uh, tournaments, but that 2017 um, win with Louisville City, it, it, it's a special one for me. And I think for the rest of the guys, because it was, it was the third time of trying and we finally were able to do it. And you know, once you get the first one, then you know, the, the others, you know, they're not easy, but you know, it's, it's once you navigate the first one, the others, you know, they become a little bit more easier because you know, you've already been there before, have the experience, that kind of stuff. Yeah, interesting. So in 2018, uh, you had the opportunity to work in the MLS, which is one of the highest leagues yeah. uh, in the US. Uh, what was that like, coaching in the MLS? Um, I think, you know, it, it's not as hard because you're coaching, you're coaching like, you're like really good players, like the top athletes, you know, in the nation and what they do. Um, the management style, I think the way you relate to them, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit different. You know, these are millionaires, right? Um, most of them. So it's, it's the management style, how you talk to them, how you work with them is almost, it's almost like a give and take sort of scenario, right? You know, um, and you have to have the buy-in. You know, that's the thing um, with, with, with these guys. You know, the guys who always succeed at that level is the guys who are able to to relate um, properly with the players, you know, um, that kind of stuff. And then, you know, the GM, you know, you got to be on the same you know, wavelength with it because you know, the head coach is the head coach, but at the end, they don't really make decisions, right? You know, is the CEO, you know, is the GM, you know, um, and, and the MLS is a very complicated system in terms of, you know, getting in players and all that kind of stuff, you know, all this uh, TAM and GAM, you know, there's so many different moving pieces that even now I still don't understand what the heck is going on. But um, it's easier if, if, if you have the buy-in from the players. I think I would say that's probably the biggest thing, you know, um, as long as, you know, you can relate to the players properly and the messaging and being consistent with your messaging, um, then they'll, they'll, they'll play for you. You know, that's, that is the biggest thing. A lot of the coaches that go to the MLS and they don't, they don't really do too well. It's got there's a disconnect, you know, in terms of the tactics, in terms of how you want them to play, you know, like especially if it's a team that has some success before. Make an example with Atlanta, you know, that, that Tata Martino, the, the old, you know, guy from Paraguay, fantastic coach, you know, and, and, and they, you know, Atlanta, it's like a big city, but, you know, there's a lot of South American, um, you know, influence on that team, the best players at least. Right. So they, they, they were able to connect with a coach who speaks Spanish, right? And he, he let them play 
the way the South Americans want to play, which is just attacking all the time. Then Frank DeBoer comes in, really good coach in Holland. He's, he just got the national team coach in Holland right now. After Atlanta sacked him, he went to he took over the national team in Holland. But he, he, he speaks a different language. I think he speaks Spanish because he played for Barcelona for quite a while. But he came in with a complete different mindset of, of, of playing. You know, they, it's more defensive. And so right away, he lost the players, right? You know, because I remember when we were playing in the All-Star game, I was asking some of those guys and they were openly, openly, you know, critical of how the, the boys making them play, you know. So I found that very interesting. And he had this guy who coached Ajax and was like one of the best defenders, you know, of his time playing the World Cup, you know, and won championships in, in Ajax, presents really good players. He comes to the MLS, he doesn't succeed. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's like I say, it's, it's, it's the buy-in. It's, you know, it's always the buy-in. Orlando, the same thing, you know, we... we we, we, we did well there, but not very well, right? You know, so the decision was made, even though I personally could have stayed, they wanted me to, but um, they, I end up like, you know what, you know, I think it's best for me to come back home. You know, they, they tried, they came up with different things for me to do, um, but I think it was best for me to come home at the time. Um, but, you know, they sign in, not very, not a whole bunch of players. You know, the goalkeeper came in, the Peruvian international goalkeeper, the center back, um, and then the defensive midfielder. So those are like the three main additions, right? But the, the whole roster is the same guys that we brought in, the exact same players, and they're flying right now, right? They're absolutely flying. So I, I and, and I, I, I still talk to some of those guys, and I've been asking them, like, what's different? Like, no, man, it's just the way, the way the coach relates to the players, right? He's Spanish, he's from Colombia. And Orlando City, it's, you know, the city itself, it's very, very Hispanic, right? You got a lot of South Americans there and some people. But so, so, so having a coach who speaks the same language as the players, it helps because with us there, you know, James needed to translate, he needed somebody to translate whatever he was saying into Spanish. And the message doesn't get the same, you know? If I'm talking to you right now, it's a sort of whatever that is, you know, you can feel my emotions. You can get these things firsthand. But the guy who's translating is not going to transmit the same emotion. He just gets the message, but he doesn't get the emotion with which I'm delivering the message. And, and those things are important. I, I realized that when I was there, you know, when I was in Egypt too, you know, um, Alan Harris didn't speak Arabic, right? So he had to have like a guy trans, translate um, the, the, from English to Arabic and the message wasn't getting to the players the same way because you don't get the same feeling, you don't get the same emotion, that kind of stuff. So but it's a good experience. Listen, I mean, I don't regret it one bit. Um, I learned a lot during my time there, um, you know, mostly how to deal with the superstar players. Um, Speaking and, about superstar players, you also had a chance to work with Nani, who's one of the top players in the league. Yes. What made him different to, to other players? Oh, it's his technique. It's his technique. You know, um, you know, forget about the physical attributes because Nani, he's a physical specimen. He works on his body. You know, he uh, dude doesn't have one ounce of fat on him. It's all like solid muscle. Like, but he he spends time in the gym working on his body. You know, he he he, he and he does 
he does different things, you know, he, he go and do like boxing, that kind of stuff. So he mixes up, you know, his training regimen. Um, but it's just, it's just his technique and it's just his dribbling ability. And then it's, you know, it's just his mental speed. He just sees things way, way quicker. And I think that was one of the, the frustrations probably last year when he came, when he got on the ball, you know, people were making this, the runs that he was expecting them to make. Or, you know, you know how sometimes, you know, he'll get on the ball and a kid will come short to him and he'll be like, I don't want you here. Run forward. I, make, I can make that pass, you know. <laughs> so there, there, was, there was that misconnection where he'll get the ball and kids will come back towards him. And, and, and he'll be like, I don't want you make, go forward. I can make that pass, you know. So um, he, he was just so far ahead, you know, in terms of just like just understand. you you know when that guy steps on the pitch and starts passing the ball and you know starts doing the install right away that okay this is just a different level altogether like you can pass the ball to him anyhow like in any way he would touch it correctly and effectively you know it's like he sees things quick you know and i've even now you know i've seen him play one time in like this mls is back tournament i think it was against against Minnesota United, where, you know, he checked in short and the center back just dropped like a dime right behind him. And like, literally the ball came over his head and he just touched it in front and he just finished. Like, you don't see you don't see that kind of stuff when somebody's running at 100 miles an hour and he controls the ball perfectly without breaking a stride. Um, and then just the way he shoots the ball. And then, you know, the thing with him that I've seen, you know, he had the respect of the defenders in this league from moment, moment one. Every time he gets on the ball, they're backed off. Like I've seen, I've seen some other players that come international players, they come in and, you know, the defenders come and try to rough them up a little bit. Nani didn't get none of that stuff. You know, as, as soon as he got on the ball, you see people getting, you know, they want to get embarrassed. So <laughs> he, 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 he earned the respect um, almost immediately, but yeah, he, he's, he's, it's probably, I mean, there were some players in Egypt that when I was there, some big superstars, you know, the Egypt or Sam Hassan. I don't know if you've heard the name. I've heard the name. Yeah, yeah. He, he was he was a, he was a great, great one of the best forwards, you know. But Nani, Nani, Nani is a level up, is a level about that, you know, it just just the technique, you know. Um, I think that's probably my thing was just the biggest thing that I saw about him was just the, technically he's he doesn't make he doesn't he doesn't have any holes. Technique, technique, yeah. in terms of striking the ball, shooting, understanding the game, you know that kind of stuff. Um, now, what, what's the difference between uh, MLS and coaching USL? Because because you coach at both levels. Um, I would say it's it, mostly the technique. I think they, they, they listen. The top players in the MLS, like the top top players, are the ones who make a difference, right? You know. I'm talking about the DPs and, and some higher end, you know, Darlington Nugby, for instance, those kind of guys, that level player. But a, a lot of other good top, top MLS, uh, top USL players, they can, play, they can definitely play in the MLS. I just don't think MLS respects USL that much, right? Um, they don't look... They don't look for USL to go and get the players. You know, they would rather get them from the academies or they'll go overseas, most of South America, somewhere and get them, bring those guys in. They don't this. They, they don't really respect. Like I said, like for, for instance, Tyler Pasha, the kid who plays at Indy 11, he's good, 
he's, he's really good. And, and, and I don't know why he's not playing in the MLS. Like I just, I don't, he's better. He's like better than 60% of the MLS wingers. Like he's really good, but I don't even think he's in with a shout, you know, Spear Williams, you know, there, there's a lot of players in the USL um, that like the top level USL players, they can, they can definitely make the cut in the MLS, but I, I think it's, it's more about, you know, who's trendier, you know, you go and get a kid from South America, then the, there's a little buzz about it. You know, you can sell some tickets, all that kind of stuff. But I, I don't just, I just don't think there's, but like the top players, they make the difference. The pace, I would probably say the, the defensive midfielders in the MLS and the speed in wide areas, like the wingers and the fullbacks, I think that's where MLS for sure. Um, and that, that's taking out the DPs, right? The DPs is a different level. But I would say most of the wingers and the outside backs um, and then the number sixes or just about every single MLS team they're actually pretty decent in that holding mid position. Most of them are very good. Um, I think that's where the difference for the most part is. Um, and I'll say probably the level of goalkeeping too. Most of the MLS goalkeepers, most of them are actually pretty good. They're, they're a little bit like a notch above, above yourself. Because the games, you know, the games opens up so much in the MLS. You know, after one hour, they stop defending. It just becomes like, <laughs> the game opens up, it just goes like that. And so you need a goalkeeper who's very good in one v ones, you know, because those things are going to happen. When you look at MLS and you watch the vast majority of shots, you know, and, and the saves that the goalkeepers make, they come in the second half for the most part. Statistically, I think that's basically what it is. When teams really they just stop defending, it just game just opens up. You know, it's just like basketball going back and forth like that, you know. And the goalkeepers usually that's when they shine. If you have a good goalkeeper, they, you know they, they can make they can make the saves, they can win games so or keep you in that kind of stuff. But I would say that the DPs are the ones who make the difference, and I've seen the number sixes. Most of the sixes in the MLS are actually very good. Um, the midfielders, you know, they can pass the ball and keep it. Um, and then the, the speed that they have in wide areas, they're very athletic. Yeah, that's interesting. Now, watching MLS and USL and all kinds of sports. Uh, you see a lot of people taking a knee. Uh, in your opinion, do you think wearing T-shirts, taking a knee, that's going to bring any change? No, we're going to vote. <laughs> we need to go and vote. Okay. You know? Yep. You know, it, it's a symbol. I get it. Listen, my mom, my mother was born in South Africa. Right? My mother was an activist, right? She, she, I was born in Lesotho because her family had to take it, like they had to get it out of danger. My mom was very active, you know, in political activism in South Africa. You know, she's, she, you go, if I call my mom right now, you know, she'd be listening to all the South African freedom songs, you know, Mary McCabe, all those guys. <laughs> I have the music in my house, right? That's what I grew up listening, you know? Right. So I, I, I've, I've seen that before, but um, it, it's a good symbol for sure, you know, showing solidarity and that kind of stuff. But my, we need to go and understand about our voting rights and then go and vote, you know, and, and don't just vote. You know, that's what I always, I was telling this to my kid, like, listen, don't just vote for the president because the US president doesn't have too much power. You vote for the officials where you live. Those are the people who's going to make the change, you know, the, 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 the board of education, you know, the governor for the mayor, you know, all these little things. Like right now during COVID, you know, those people are the ones who are making decisions where you live, you know, and the, the president can come at a federal level, right? 
But if the governor says, no, we don't want to do that, you know, we don't want to close our schools or we want to close our schools, you know, there's nothing that the president can do. So, you know, people need to understand that, you know, voting starts from where you live first, you know, and then, you know, then you can expand, you know, and go and vote for the other things, you know, but I like what I'm seeing, you know, the message is there, that kind of stuff, but I still think we need to continue and, and protest peacefully. Right and continue putting the pressure and send the message. That's like we, we, you know, we did back home. You know, kneeling and stuff. You know, it only happens for thirty seconds before the game starts, and after that, then it's over. People get on with their games. You know, make sure we put in pressure on. You know, peaceful demonstrations and protests, and not looting and stuff, but doing the right stuff and sending the message across constantly. It will get through at some point. Nice. So. You you back at Lobo right now. Well, what is your role now back at Lobo City? Back at Lobo City, um, they just launched um, they just launched a new academy. Um, they didn't make too many friends, you know, with that happening with the local clubs. But <laughs> it, they 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 probably had to push on with it. So I'm I'm doing mostly academy goalkeeping, right? You know, that's that's and I love doing it. You know, working with kids again. Uh, different age groups, you know, um, and they are going to, they're, they're just constructing a facility now. I think it's coming through, um, I think in, in about two weeks, maybe the first two fields will be done. They're probably are going to have seven fields over there, four turf, three Bermuda, and some offices and stuff like that. So, um, you know, that's something that I think all of us here, you know, who've been involved in soccer, we've always wanted something like this where we can actually host our own tournaments instead of going to like some random place somewhere to go and play. So I think economically it's going to help the city. You know, once we have the tournaments here, then, you know, who knows how much we can generate per weekend with the hotels and all that kind of stuff. So I think I think it's a good, it's a good business to have that here. Do you have any uh, ambitions of going back to Lesotho or coaching in a professional ranks? Yeah, Lesotho for sure, you know, and, and they have contacted me several times, um, you know, about, you know, and I'm talking about some, you know, big guys, you know, in the, in the government and stuff. It's something that I, I definitely don't want to do. I mean, who wouldn't want to coach their national team for sure, um, you know, but right now, I, you know, I, even last year, I think when I talked to some of the people there, that, you know, let me, let me get my daughter, you know, on her way to at least getting her first degree. And then, you know, once she's up on her feet and independent, then why not? You know, I can do that. I'm a citizen now here, so I, I can live, you know, and spend time for as long as I want anywhere. That is not restricted, like every green card where I have to go for six months and then be back, all that kind of stuff. So I, I something that I want to do for sure and go and try then try to implement some change um, and at least you know, we're not, listen, we're not going to be as, we're not going to be in the same level of competition with South African teams, you know, because of sponsorship money and industry and that kind of stuff. Lizzo doesn't have that, but we can take some small steps and bring in some change, you know, have some sports scientists, you know, guys have to play and train with GPSs on, that kind of stuff. We don't have that. They go, we're just running kids. You know? <laughs> thinking that we're making them fit and then next thing the guys are just dropping down like so we we need to modernize our game a little bit and our domain i don't know you know with the new uh, south african coach under 20 I, I haven't really talked to him or heard much about him about how he works but hopefully he can come in you know having coached in south africa 
where things are a little bit more, you know, higher level professionalism, and maybe you can come and you know, start introducing some of those things there. Like for the like right now, they play the intra squad scrimmage on Friday, and they actually videotape that game. So I'm waiting for the footage from Sunny. So that's that's baby steps. This never happened before, where they actually videotape their own training session. So that that's that's actually encouraging because we never had that. Oh, that's but, good to hear. What, what, what advice would you give to young goalkeepers who are trying to get into the uh, coaching world? Oof, learn about the game. You know, um, that's one thing that I tell most of the kids here is, you know, you go in, like yesterday, was it yesterday? No, it was Saturday, I was at Collegiate. We have this really good player as a young midfielder. And, you know, I started asking him about, Hey, do you ever watch this? Do you ever watch this? And the kid is looking at me with a blank stare. And I just knew that he doesn't watch the games. So I asked him, I say, hey, do you, do you, do you, do you watch any games? And he honestly said, no. So I said, that's part of the bigger problem. Like, you, need, you, need to, you need to learn and, you know, watch the games. Watch, you know, pay attention to the people who play your position and see what is it that they're doing well. What is it that, you know, you so... My thing is, it's 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 absolutely possible for kids to 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 aspire, you know, to be what they want to be. Especially in this country, sky's the limit. But with that being said, there's competition too, though, right? There's 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 a lot of there's a lot of young kids who aspire to be the same thing. So you need to beat them out by doing other things, you know. Um, that maybe the other kids are not thinking about doing, you know, enroll for seminars, sign up to be a ref, you know, all the tiny little things that, you know, that can complete you as a, as a, as a player, as a goalkeeper, under, like means understand the game, but you have to understand the rules of the game too, you know, all those things. So I always tell this kid, like, listen, you know, um, and don't just listen to me, you know, seek out some other counsel from other goalkeeper coaches in town. They may tell some different, or they may give you the message and deliver it, to you in a way that actually actually makes sense, right? You know, I'm always open to head to these kids, you know, going out and and talking to you, for instance, or talking to two daughters about different things because I don't know everything, right? So, um, or I may deliver the message in a different way than you could tell him. I can tell him something for days, he may not understand it, and you come and break it down in one or two little sentences, and it goes, oh, I got it, that kind of stuff. So. I always want kids to op to be open-minded about you know talking to different people you know about the game and they may not like what somebody's telling them or they may get one little piece from that guy you know and then you know it's, it's one little piece in the, you know in their in their in the arsenal and get better yeah uh, earlier today i was watching a video uh, i was talking about uh, uh black coaches you know and the way the video came about, it shows a lot of black players. Like everybody knows all these black players. Yep. But when you look at the coaches, there's no black coaches. Why do you think is that? Yeah, it's, again, it's systemic. It's a systemic system. Even, 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 even Dover City, you know, I've helped them like about, about the same thing. Like, you know, when you look and I'm talking about, I'm not talking about like, you know, we talk about the decision makers at the board level, right? Where, where the money is, where these big decisions are made, you know, there's, there's, there's not a lot of black uh, or minority representation. That is a problem. <laughs> you know, 
as, as a brawn at the board level, you know, and we, like I said, we have talked about this, you know, um, some of the guys, you know, it's systemic, you know, we are, the, we, we, are, we are the best ones, you know, but then when it comes to us heading, you know, um, getting the big jobs, you don't, you know, you just don't see them, you know, even in the MLS itself, right? You look around the whole league, the whole league in the MLS, there's no black coach. Yeah. No one. There's not one, but maybe there's some South American guys here and there, but you don't see, you, see, you look at Tyrone Marshall, for instance, you know, the guy who played in the league for nearly 20 years, right? Playing for LA guy, winning everything in the league. He's assistant coach now at, at Real Salt Lake, but you're thinking with that kind of experience at, at you know, not only MLS, but for Jamaica, the guy played like a lot of, like almost 80 something times for Jamaica, went to the World Cup with them, that kind of stuff. He has to be a candidate somewhere with the knowledge that he has of the league. Like he started MLS like way back when he first started, maybe not in the very beginning, but like I'm talking about like, like way, way back, you know, in the early 2000s, he had a 16 year career, 17 year career in the league. It's somebody that, you know, with all the openings that have happened, you know, throughout the league, um, even at US, where he was coaching the real monarchs, the guy who was coaching uh, who's coaching the, the head team, the head coach right now. He was the head coach for the Monarchs and he, he got moved to the, the, the main team and he eventually got the job while Ty was already there as the assistant, right? So it, it, it's, it's part of the systemic problems that we have in this country. And that's, that needs to change. That has to change. Last question for you. Who are your top three goalkeepers? In Africa. In Africa? Yes. I, I don't want to talk about Europeans because we speak in Africa. Yeah. Talk about right now? Anytime. Anytime? Anytime. Mm. And of <laughs> question. Mm -mm -mm. Let me think. Um Definitely Patson Banda. Okay. Beautiful pirate. Sparks, you know, he's one of my idols. It's a pity he didn't play at the time, you know, when South Africa was open, but he was brilliant. He was very, very good. Um, and then I'll go for, there was a Zambian guy called Efford Chabala. He passed away when they had that um, air disaster in 1993. Um, he was good. He was great. I mean, the, Zambia was a point away from making the 94 World Cup when this happened. He was a great goalkeeper. Um, and then, I mean... Number three. Number three, I'll probably go with the Egyptian guy, Assam El Hadari. Some came right after I left. Why am I saying that about him? Is because he played for probably one of the best generations in Egyptian football. They dominated Africa, right? And, and they just never, for some reason, never made it to the World Cup. I mean, they, they put him, when they went to the World Cup in 98, it was more symbolic. He was old, you know, he was 40, he was 44. So I mean, they would just put him on the roster just to be a part of it. 
but he was way past his best. But when Egypt was winning Africa Cup of Nations, like for three years in a row, or got three championships in a row, this is when Drogba was playing, right? This is when like, you know, Eto was playing. Like this, like when Egypt was winning this at that time, when, you know, Yaya Tour was playing, when these teams were having superstars and Egypt was beating beat them like 2006, eight, I think, and 10. They won, they won that tournament. And then Assam was a big part of that. I think, I think, I think that would be, that would be the third one. But I, I'm pretty sure I've left so many of them out. But, yeah no it's okay i just wanted to know your top three african goalkeepers that's it yeah and listen there's 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 thomas Nkono. i think i'll put Nkono second listen scratch off chabala <laughs> seriously scratch off chabala because i i like him but yeah, yeah thomas Nkono, and i'll explain why you know he was so good because he's one of the first goalkeepers African goalkeepers to play. He played for Espanol, right? Um, um, for Cameroon, you know. And I saw him when he came home for Union Douala. I think I was nine years old when I, you know, first time I saw him. I'm like, whoa, man, that guy is a monster, you know. And he went and played for Cameroon in '82 World Cup, you know, in in '82 and then '86. No, '86 they didn't make it, but 1990 World Cup. No, like Buffon. Buffon named his son Thomas after him. After he saw him, then yeah, that's 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 the first one. Actually, I'll put him as far as number one, <laughs> just because of the impact he had on many of us. Banda was, you ever you ever, you ever seen him play? Yeah, I've never seen Banda play, but I've heard about him. Yeah, it was crazy, man. You know, we had the stories about him where you know he used to say, "Man, I can't see, man. I, I gotta get some carrots, all that kind of stuff." Like. <laughs> He was a clown, you know, you had all the stories about him, but I've seen him. I grew up watching him, no gloves, nothing, play with his bands. He, yes. was, he was, he was unbelievable. He was like, I mean, he, the saves he was making, the level of athleticism, I mean, the guy was like, he was, he was legit. Like, he was so good. Um, you know, people talk about Jomo and Webster and all those guys that played for Pirates back then, but he was a big piece of that. He was a great goalkeeper. Nice. Yep. So those are probably said the, the 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 top three from the older school, and then Assam is more of a current, you know, goalkeeper. He was he was he was very good. Yeah, Mr. Tabani, thank you for your time, man. I really had a good time. Yeah, good time. We can talk the whole day. I promise you that I have so much. I mean, we can talk the whole day. But yeah, definitely. Thank you. Thank you for, right. for having me. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Telling Our Football Stories and thanks to Tabani for sharing his story with us. Have a great day.